Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the American Masterminds Podcast. Each episode, we invite extraordinary guests who are masters of their craft, they're innovators, entrepreneurs, and of course, motorcycle enthusiasts who have made their mark in the world. They share their stories, insights, and hard-earned wisdom, giving you a front row seat to the strategies and experiences that shape their successes. So sit back, grab a drink, and get ready for an exhilarating ride as we dive deep into the minds of these exceptional individuals. Along the way, we'll uncover powerful strategies, gain fresh perspectives, and explore the limitless possibilities of what it takes to be an American mastermind. All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome to the American Masterminds podcast. I'm Rob Adams. I am your host tonight, my co-host and best friend in the whole wide world, Jared, sitting next to me. Jared, how you doing? Great tonight. Great. Tonight. Happy to be here. Very good. And then we got Alec up on the board, spinning the tunes. What are you doing, Alec? And then our special guest, which um, Topher likes to say every year, I mean, every um, podcast, I'm very excited to have this special guest on we our podcast. We are very Special excited. guest, Topher is in the house we're going to do a little bit of a talk now Topher has been of course he is usually the host the main host and i'm kind of taking his seat today but we need to talk to Topher because he's one of the most interesting guys i know he's got a lot of story a lot of good stuff that he wants to share with us and um we want to kind of highlight our uh, our featured members at the american masterminds because that's what we're here to do um one of our goals as a brotherhood is to build one another up to teach each other and to grow and Topher is a great mentor of mine so i'm excited to have this conversation Topher. thank you rob i appreciate it yeah man some fun still let's have some fun so Topher where do we begin you are a man of mystery uh, an, an interesting person from the very beginning you've uh you've done so much you've traveled you've seen the world um let's let's start way back let's the little Topher let's begin this, this, at the beginning at the very at the beginning. beginning um as a young man as a little boy um you were already into baseball you were yes, already sir. it was a big part of your life why was that was it something your dad was into no actually uh it was, I played all the sports growing up. Um, what actually did it for me is when I was 10 years old, we moved to Casper, Wyoming. Uh, we, moved, we lived in Fort Collins, and we moved to Casper, Wyoming. And I'm not exactly – I don't remember how this happened, but I got onto a – at 10 years old, I was playing with the 12-year-olds. Hmm. There was one all-star team in Casper, Wyoming, okay, and they were kind of a big deal. And I showed up. I was the youngest one on the team. And we were about playing – this is kind of funny because uh, we were out playing in a tournament. And I was a third baseman. That was my given position. And our catcher got sick and he had to go home. And being the good-hearted team player that I was. Put me in, coach. Put me in. I'll go, I'll I'll go catch it. for a minute. Well, coincidentally, we had played two games that, that day. In the second game, there happened to be a, an actual pro scout in the stands. And he approached my parents after the game. And uh, he said, I don't know where you're from or where, how you got here, but he's got talent. What? And uh, so he came up, and it was really cool. I had already kind of started to have the love for it, but it was that acknowledgement that was like, oh, yeah. oh man, okay, I'm going to do never this. never having played the position. Oh, yeah. No, it was it, something that came, which is really funny, because I tried for the next 20 years to 
I'll play second. I'll play third. I'll play first. Wherever you want me to go. And it was always just, yeah, shut up. Just put the gear back on and <laughs> yeah. go back there. <laughs> you are there. Yeah. So catcher, in my perspective, I played a little baseball. Nothing, of course, like you have. But um, there's really a game that's only happening between three people on the field most of the time. Yeah. And that's the the pitcher. Yes. The catcher and the dude at bat. Yes. Yep. Um, everything else is kind of static. Like we're waiting. We're waiting for something. We're going to react to whatever input happens. Um, tell me about what kind of a leadership or what does that look like being in that in that spot, even at a young age? Like, how'd that work? The catcher is more of the, and then part of this, this story is by the time, so I was 10 when that happened. I worked with this guy. His name was Alex Neely. And, uh, and then by 12 years old, I was, the Rockies were actually sending pitchers one at a time to him to, uh, to come and learn how to throw a curveball in altitude. Hmm. So at 12 years old, I was catching Colorado Rockies pitchers. Um, and, and doing that. But what's unique about the catcher position, um, and this really came on in college and, and later, but you're the quarterback. You're, I call all the pitches. Um, my calling card as a player, the one attribute that I had was calling a game. The catchers, my, my competition, pitchers ERA with me was two runs lower when I was catching than any of the other catchers that I was compared with. So let's just, uh, for those of you who don't know what ERA stands for. It's what... earned run to average. So that's kind of how they judge pitchers. In a nutshell, it's how many runs does a pitcher give up over the course of a game. Okay. That sounds amazing. And so there you are. You're kind of in a leadership role. Um, you're in this team position. You're 12 years old. You're catching for semi-professional pitchers learning to throw a curve at altitude. The one thing I've always wondered about being a catcher is, like, I've never had a curveball thrown at me unless I'm batting. I, but I've never been, like, down range, really. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm kind of off to the side, right? How do you get the hang of, like, I see where the ball's going but I know where it's going to end. Like there seems like there's got to be a little bit of faith in there. Well, there's, there's faith to it, it, but it's very much a learned skill. What, what they don't tell you when you're watching a baseball game is all of the little tiny movements that matter. Okay. So it's, it's very much about timing. And if your timing is good, the balls don't creep up on you. Hmm. Um, and there's techniques for it. That's a life lesson, by the way. Yes. If One your timing is good. Your balls won't creep up on you. <laughs> Those balls won't creep up. <laughs> I wanted to reiterate no, that because that's 100%. a solid line. Okay, keep going. There's, I'm sorry. No, it, baseball, to that point, I don't think that there is a better example uh, for life and navigating life than the game of baseball. Hmm. Baseball is the only game um, that they, they don't keep track of your wins. They hmm. keep track of your losses. Every stat in the game of baseball is negative. No, okay? that's right. I, you know, that's true now that I think about they it. They don't keep track of how, how many, many balls have you dropped? How many? Yes. Yeah. Huh. So it's all negative. And if you are the best in the world, you are going to fail seven out of 10 times. Wow. The best in the world, hitting 300, that's the benchmark. The best in the world fail seven out of 10 times. Hmm. It is a game of failure. You don't win baseball games. You lose baseball games based on errors. <laughs> Which is absolutely true. What, that is kind of a life lesson. There like, is so much about, and I'm, well, I'm sure we're, this is going to be the theme of this podcast, hmm. is how these baseball lessons shape my worldview. Yeah. Okay. And to give you some examples, taking at bat. Okay. On an average baseball game, you're going to get four at bats. All right. If you go up there and you're first at bat and you strike out and you carry that to the next at bat, you're going to strike out again hmm. and you're going to strike out again and you're going to strike out again. And that's called quicksand. And that's what happens. Hmm. The thing that you have to master in your mind in baseball is I'm going to have one at bat. And regardless of what happens there, I'm going to have to get up and do it again here in a couple of innings. And if you go up there without a clean slate, fresh set of eyes, mentally, physically ready to go, you're not going to have success. So how do you do that? How do you um, keep that slate clean? Because I'm, I'm a tremendous scorekeeper. I'm like, oh, damn, I, 
this guy throws 138 miles an hour. You know, like I can, I can, I can talk myself into or out of success as easily as, as anything. How do you do that? Much like life, the game of baseball is a day in and day out thing. There's 162 games in a, in a season. There's four at bats for each one of those games. You can't hold on to any one of those things for any length of time, good or bad. How do you shake it? You. How do you get out of the quicksand? <laughs> you have to have a mental record. You have to recognize mentally what I just said. There's another at bat coming, mm. and I have to get ready for that one. Okay. So it's it's really more about Short-term shortening memory. your memory. Yeah. Right. You can't have any emotional ties to your last at bat. Your last at bat is done. It's history. It's in the books. It's recorded. Hmm. It's done. But that would also be true then on your great hits. Like if you, swing, you, you clean it up, you've got to like put that out of your head too, because yeah. that can also get in your way. Absolutely. Like, oh, this is easy. I got this. Again, much like life, what you're, what you're trying to do, if this is absolute neutral, okay, where football, football is like this, up and down, up and down. We score a touchdown. Everything's great. You come back down, they score, you know, it moves like that. If you do that in baseball, you're going to have problems. If this is the baseline, we want to be here, just above neutral and as consistent as can be. Hmm. Then that's the mentality. That's what goes into it. And again, you take this into life. If you really want to break down every, if we said an at-bat is a single game, a single interview, a single sales call, a single whatever, okay, of anything, yeah. you're gonna, how many of those are you going to have in the course of a day? If you carry the first one that happens in the morning, that could go negative. Right. Right? Hmm. But if I'm going to have another one here in another hour. If you're doing sales calls, right? You have you're a bad call. call. No, boom, it's over. You got. I struck out. Yeah. So ne what? Next call. Let it go. Next call. Let's go. And it really is more. It's a training your mind to one, two, three, go to the next one. Hmm. Did you have any rituals that would help you with the reset? Yes. So what I found. So there's like the, the path. So I I want to back up for two seconds. No. Hold on. No. I got. I, I got to know the answer to that question. <laughs> okay. I need a good ritual. Yes. A reset button. So my reset button that I would use was the uh, right field foul pole. And you, you do it every single pitch, okay? So I, if I, even when I was catching, that was my, and it's a deep breath, reset, next play. Reset, next play. You'd look at the pole and clear the slate. Clear the mechanism. Clear the mechanism. Which I did steal from uh, For the Love of the Game. Yeah. But that's the words that he used. And what I've, one of the biggest lessons that I have found, all of the stuff that you learn from a mental standpoint, okay, if you can't use it and deploy it under stress, it actually doesn't mean anything. Mm. So you got to take these big concepts, a reset button, mm -hmm. okay? A reset button is actually, in concept, it's very complicated with the thought process, what that means, okay? How, are, how am I going to get back to neutral? What does it feel like? All of this stuff. How that do goes, I know that I'm out? How, how do I know? A lot of people don't even know they're out. So you have to reset that no matter what on the next play. And what I have found is you take these big, massive concepts and you have to whittle them down to three words. This particular one, the reset trigger, is remember the mechanism. Hmm. The, that is the three-letter word that, that triggers reset, breathe, get your mind right, clear everything, no emotion, get back up there and do it again. Hmm. I have a, a reset for sales. So I'm in sales. I'm on the phone. Um, I usually average about 23 no's a day, mm -hmm. 23 bad conversations to get my two or three good conversations. Um, my clearing the mechanism is I will take off my headphones. I will turn up, you know, pause whatever's happening on the computer and I do a quick rock walk mm -hmm. and I'll pick up the pine cones or the acorns or I'll do something in the yard, just like a quick around the yard. And I come back in and I'm a new person ready to go. 
So that's, I used to do that at, um, when I worked in the office. I'd, I was up on the third floor. I'd run all the way down to the bottom. I'd cross over to the building. I'd run all the way to the top, come back around, and I'd do the stair, this right on the stairs, and get back. And just, like, clear the mechanism, change, yep. change my, my, my body. And that was really a huge thing. Get out thing. of the quicksand. The hard part that I found with that, okay, and then the, the, the part that baseball exposes, okay, life and baseball happens in one moment. A baseball game is three hours long. How much of that time is actually spent hitting a baseball? Fractions of seconds. Yeah. yeah, four attempts that are short. Correct. Same thing happens in life. Okay, all of the, everything that happens are these quick little moments. We were just talking to Master Garvey, okay? And, and in fighting, the difference between an elite fighter, a world champion fighter, and a, and a guy that's on the you know, bottom of the roster is that split second that happens before that actual interaction happens, okay? So reset button, if we're gonna teach a reset button, it has to be able to be deployed under stress hmm. in a split microsecond. Hmm. My reset button was a breath, a single breath in three words. Hmm. And you have to whittle it down to that so that when you got 20,000 screaming fans, it's the bottom of the ninth, two outs, two guys on, I have to perform right now. If I had to take a walk yeah. around, you're not going to do that. There's yeah, that no time work. for that. Yeah. So yeah. it has to be deployed in a split second moment. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm in a different sport. I have the time. It's okay. Do you have a reset, Jared? Do you have something that you do to reset your mechanism? Um, I really overanalyze everything <laughs> so i should probably work on having a reset button hmm. so i can let go and get out of the quicksand quicker well i feel like um i feel like the the really key to the to the reset is knowing that you need one yes. it feels to me like most of us are living unconsciously and i like this about you you've always been very present with this right. um but we're walking around suffering or 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 actually happy without knowing why or where it came from we're just kind of like just bumping through. And so if you are conscious enough to know, okay, I'm not straight right now, I'm not 100%, then you have an opportunity to be 100% more often because you're showing up conscious of what right. percentage you're at. Yeah, I need, I'm going to take that away. Yeah, and implement and that's a also that's a great tool. cool consciousness, the game of or, which I hope that we can get to. Okay. What's the worst thing that could happen in this situation? Take take baseball because it, that we the, the parameters out. striking out. So what or or I'm going to get a hit. Or I'm going to be the hero. Hmm. Both options are equally as likely. The game of or. The game of or. And I'm going to continue with my day after this. Yes. Well, do you feel way. like you're like, um, you probably gravitate to worst case scenario. I think most of us probably do. And so coming to or is the other or. Or I could set an appointment. Or. It's not, a, <clears throat> it's not that you concede to the worst case scenario. It's that you accept that the worst case scenario could happen. It could. And then what? So what? So what? Hmm. Move on to the next one. Hmm. So take this over to a business example, right? All right. So we're trying to build a business and it fails. So what? Get on the horse. You've got another at bat coming. Yeah. Life doesn't stop. Yeah. Get on as fast as you can. Hit the reset button as yeah. fast as you can and move on. There isn't any, like, again, moving from at bat to at bat. It's the same thing with in life. If you can't cut the emotional ties, it, the past is the past. Hmm. Literally, that second is done. Yeah. It's recorded on this camera right now. It's yeah. over. There's nothing we can do about There's it. There's nothing you can do about it. So why are you putting your emotions to it? Hmm. Right. 
there's a word in our language um, that we do as humans, and it's called ruminate. You ever heard that word? We ruminate. Ruminate means that I'm going to beat myself up over and over and over again because I can't forgive myself for losing my temper with my child or or getting upset at work and, and speaking my mind. I, and then we spend time on like how we could have done it, how we could have done it. We resolve it, and then we spend, we wake up in the morning and we get into it again. Yep. And rumination um, is one of the leading causes for depression and anxiety in humans. And so what I really like about this is it's giving you um, an out mm-hmm. um, on the ruminating. Like, so what? Like, it, it, this happened – now, what the other thing that you um, are really good at, I admire about you actually, is the, well, this was a lesson and, and this is what we're going to do. There's no, there's no pity party. Like, this is the lesson. And, and so because of this lesson, this is what we're going to do. There's always that. It's never a loss. It's a, you, you learn. either win yeah. or learn. Yeah. Right. Crazy cool reset. I well, love to that. Your, to your point about ruminating, okay? And I do feel like I can, I can speak on this. I have one of the worst ADD brains around. Okay, and the way that that transpired all growing up was overthinking. Hmm. If I were to say something, if I told Jared a joke, right, I would spend the next two weeks in, say it was off color just a little bit. Wondering, just wondering. wondering. I made Jared upset. I look like an idiot. I, oh man, to a point of crippling myself. So all of these mechanisms Mm -hmm. were built because of the flaws that I I had inherently. Mm. Hmm. I'm guilty of the same things. Spending a lot of time overanalyzing, like, man, what? I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? Yeah, I could have handled that better. I but, could have done better. But why? If I am actively, if, and part of this too is that you have to take responsibility for when you do fuck up, right? But I actively try to be my best in every single situation that I am put in. That's the only mode that I have. Be the best at what? If we're going to go out, I, my brother in law, he takes care of million dollar horses, okay? If him and I were in a stall and we're going to shovel shit, I'm going to shovel shit fat better and faster than you are. I can't turn it off. Okay? It's anything that we do. And it, it, it's a mindset. It's no different than waking up in the morning. You got a choice, right? If I'm going to wake up, I'm, I have a choice. I'm either going to feel like shit. Oh, well, it's raining outside. Or I'm going to wake up and feel like the man. Yeah. Why? It's, fucking it's only my opinion that matters. Yeah. yeah. Why not? I'm, I'm going to feel <laughs> like the fucking man. I could go out and do anything. Well, let's shift gears again and go back. So here we are, 10, 12 years old. Now you've been given this little bit of, I'm going to use the word significance here because I can see that sparking like, okay, I'm, I'm good at this. I've got a talent here. This makes me better than or differentiates me from others. Um, and I'm going to pour into this. Now I can see the time that um, your mind, this obsessive mind would work on becoming the best at it. Mm-hmm. How much time do you think you were putting in as a kid um, becoming the best catcher you could be? Eat, sleep, breathe. Every moment of every day, if I wasn't at school or helping in the garage with my dad, I was playing baseball. That was the other, that was your thing. Hundreds of millions of air hacks in a mirror. Hmm. It was everything that I did. And to your point about like, oh, you must be feeling good. That lasted that period of me catching those Colorado Rockies pitchers. That was it. Fast forward a couple years, we moved down here. Quick little side note. I'm actually, I have a lifetime ban from the Casper Legion baseball program. Okay. <laughs> There's so, a picture of him. <laughs> That's for real. I'm in seventh grade. Yeah, so, there's a pegboard and you're the only picture yeah. of it. They, uh, Watch out for this kid. They, I, they're in Legion. Okay. That, so there's no, high, you don't play for the high school. You play Legion program. And there's no minimum age. So I tried out for Legion baseball in seventh grade. 
hmm. and made the varsity team before anybody found out how old I actually was. <laughs> oh, <nice>. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the, the commissioner, he had a son uh, that was my age. And so they said it wasn't fair that the rest of the kids didn't know that that was part of it. So we had to do a whole second tryout, still the only one that made it, still made varsity. And then they gave me a lifetime ban for conduct, or conduct detrimental to the program. Oh, man. Coincidentally. Yeah, that's something I can believe about you. Oh, yeah. Casper, <laughs> yeah. Wyoming. I was, yeah, you don't want to be the outcast You can't there. be way better than everybody it else. It was wild. So my dad had a law firm here and uh, as well. He, he was already traveling back and forth, and it was an easy move to move down here, and this is where I did high school. But uh, where I was going with that is that you, you said, oh, you must be feeling good about that. Yeah, to a point, high school was really rough, and, and what I learned really fast, if I had a nickel for every time somebody told me no, okay, I could retire and right now, and we wouldn't have a problem. My high school baseball coach, I ended up graduating early with a full ride to Indian Hills in Iowa, which was a baseball powerhouse, okay, and I graduated a year early because of those connections I had with the, with the Colorado Rockies. I'm fairly certain that the Rockies own that school. There were 60 kids that went there. 58 of them were baseball players. If you spoke English, you got an A and showed up to class. If you spoke Spanish and showed up to class, you got a C. And the homework was really irrelevant. We played baseball <laughs> for eight hours a day. Huh. And uh, so I, I went out there. And, but my high school coach uh, on our, our senior graduation, uh, he got up in front of all the parents and everything and said, well, this is Tover Sheeler. Um, he thinks he's better than everybody else. He better learn how to hit, or he better learn how to bunt because he's never going to be able to hit at the next level. He will 100% fail at the next level. He said wow. this in front of... It was the one and only time... My dad's kind of a hothead. It was the one and only time my mom was hanging on my dad's back for dear life because he was going to come across the table and thump this guy. Wow. And he said it in a public setting? To the rest of the parents at the end of the year banquet. Wow. Oh, my God. It was rough. Every level that I ever played at, they told me no that I couldn't do this. Huh. Every scout, every everything, and I just kept going. There's only one opinion that matters, and that's yours. I believe that I could do this. And so now this, I don't recommend this because my route to getting there, okay, I was in the weight room or in batting cages, and I don't even want to admit how many times I was physically carried out of batting cages and weight rooms because I thought I was going to hurt myself. I was not anywhere close to the most talented. I was obsessive, okay? I outworked everybody, and I did end up finding my little route, which was in the mental side of the game, that kept me in it for as long as I was. But you're not going to go up and Google any stats on me. It was the fact that I was there because I just refused to go home. Right. So wow. all of these lessons and the, the mindset was in part to overcome me and overcome all of this negativity all the time and just keep proving them wrong. Hmm. Keep going. Just keep going. If you fall off, if you fail, get back up, do it again. Hmm. Do it again. Just keep going. So if you had raised that way, I feel like you would have a very low tolerance for uh, someone who would make excuses, like someone who there's, there's no excuse. What part of my baseball journey was it, it was very spiritual, okay? And what I found is that God actually and he leaves a lot of breadcrumbs to this. It's simple. But to be simple is divine, okay? Where people get caught is in the making things very complicated. I believe that's a sign of Satan, all right? He's trying to confuse you. Hmm. God makes things very, very simple. Hmm. And the more simple that we can make things, 
the easier your life is going to be. Hmm. No different than why do you have all these attachments to your past? That doesn't make any, is there anything you can do to change it? That book has already been written. Mm -hmm. You can call upon it, use it for recall to, to move on or use it for reference for the next situation that comes on. But why? Make it as simple as possible. Whittle it down to three words that triggers what you just built because that's how you're going to use it. Hmm. Interesting. It really explains a lot about you, man. Like this is, uh, I've known you now. How long have I known you? Six I, years, five years, six years, five or six years. I've known you a minute and, um, you are, um, unrelenting, um, when you have something set in your mind, like when you get yeah. your gut set on something, it's interesting to watch, like watch you make it happen. Like, and that's, that's literally the best way to say it. Yeah. You make it happen. It's not like you manifest it. Like you're, you're crafting your world. It's pretty powerful. I it, just it's toxic as well. It, uh, it spreads. Yeah. I just don't believe, well, you get told no enough times and eventually it turns to, instead of digging at you, it turns to, yeah, fuel. tell me no again. Yeah. Fuel. Tell me no again. Yeah, watch, I like this. Watch, watch this. this. Yeah. 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 Huh. You know, to, to take this further. So we get a, we go through college, right? And uh, I, good, bad, or indifferent. Again, it was every. Oh, you're gonna get cut this year. Yo, you're gonna get cut this so year. So where'd you go to college? I went to. So I went to Indian Hills, um, and I had a full ride scholarship, which is that's probably the most accomplished thing I did in the game of baseball. Full ride scholarships don't happen. Mm -mm. Okay, usually they're split up. There's a lot of kids on the baseball team. I went out there. I tore my bicep tendon. Um, I was there for two months and throwing. Was throwing. it throwing? Yeah. So I was. We were doing. Again, we were practicing eight hours a day. I, my body. I was a 17 year old. It wasn't ready for that. I, I realistically, I, I shouldn't have been there, but how bad was a tear? Um, they, full tear? no, it wasn't a full tear. They ended up going in there. It was just a real quick, they just, they kind of sutured it up. And, uh, they told me like, look, if you, I was in a cast for two months or whatever it was. And they said, look, if, if you can get through this, you should have day to day, uh, functionality, but I couldn't afford Tommy John, which is what they were saying. That was what would be needed to keep playing. What's Tommy John? It's where they take Surgery. the a tendon out of your ankle and replace the bicep tendon with it. No kidding. Yeah. It's at 17. Oh yeah. It, it happens. And usually they've gotten it to a point now getting Tommy John used to be like, Oh God, he's done. And now they come back throwing harder. It really isn't a, a they've really perfected it. Hmm. But at that time, no insurance is going to cover that or anything like that. And right. it was a $30,000 procedure. Jeez. And it, that just simply wasn't in the cards. In the cards. Yeah. So, that at that point they told me I was I was done like the doctors were telling me I was done and I so I came home and I got reeled up to you for the first time and uh, my brother was 12 and he was on an all-star team and coincidentally they uh, they didn't have a coach okay and they begged me to come out and coach all right all right and I got to give a lot of a lot of credit to those boys <laughs> because they were relentless those guys hounded me from the time I showed up till I started actually throwing again in June, and uh, uh, they were just relentless. Topher, throw with us. Topher, hit with us. Just do this. And I was listening to the doctors going, I, there's nothing. Can't. I can't. You know, what do you want? And I finally gave in, like, well, what's the worst that would happen? So we were out there, and I won't forget it. Was, Wait a minute. That didn't hurt. That didn't hurt. Wait a minute. That, that's not bad. That's not bad. And I kept throwing, and we it turned into a thing. Fast forward to uh, July, I, I was like, I went to my parents and said, I, I think I can do this again. So I started a mission. You want to talk about like the drive and whatnot, okay? I called every single school 
sent an email, called physically uh, every single school west of the Mississippi. The oh. last city on the map was Seattle, okay? And I called up there, and uh, I got two people that at least talked to me back. And so my, we got in the car, and we drove up there, and I did some tryouts, and I got an opportunity to go up there and play. So my, my next two years were at Olympic College up in Seattle. And then uh, I came out. I did have a couple of scholarship offers to some bigger schools. The package that they had for me at, at Platteville, Wisconsin, you couldn't it, – it was a financial decision. It, it, I think each semester only cost me like 2000 bucks, and that included my books and everything. It, it Nothing – even with 50% scholarships, nothing came so close to Platteville, that. Wisconsin, in case you guys didn't know, is on the very almost west border of Wisconsin. There's literally the nothing there between uh, Milwaukee and perhaps, I don't know, Salt Lake. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of cornfields. It's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of dirt going on. The only here. thing that's in this town is the school. There's, yeah. there's a McDonald's, a Taco Bell, 17 bars. And a school. Do <laughs> you know Wisconsin. a guy named Jerry Bench? Jerry Bench. He lived in Platteville. I knew a guy from there. Anyway. I don't know. Um, Gerald. Gerald Bench, actually. Um, well, cool. The, um, so there you are in Platteville. You've got the scholarship. You are uh, living your best life. What's what's life like in Platteville? Are you, it's just all baseball because there's nothing else to do. I for, for whatever this is worth, Wisconsin is one of my favorite places. The people up there are on a different level i wish the i wish the rest of the country could see how people interact in the state of wisconsin yeah it's different they're friendly oh my god friends for life yeah and true genuine guys to the point like i showed up i didn't know anybody nobody there and half the team was waiting for me at my house because i they hooked me up with a house they like this will be where you're staying here's your roommates um blah 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 here's all your stuff Half the team was waiting for me in the driveway when I showed up. I didn't lift a single thing from my car. They all carried it all up. And that wow. really, like, that was, yeah. that was, that was Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 I lived in Wisconsin for quite a few years, and I love it out there. If they didn't have winter like they do, Truly. I, would, I would be a Wisconsinite. Yes. But, man, Wisconsin winters are no joke. You have to make enough money that if you did live there, you have to be able to go somewhere warm two or three times in the winter. Florida. Yeah. As they say in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On Florida. a boat in Florida. A boat in Florida. <laughs> There's no A in there. Anyway. Um, yeah, I love Wisconsin. So in Platteville, what are some of the things you took away from being a part of that organization? Because that seems like that's where you kind of finished up your, your education, your college is in Platteville. Is that correct? Well, no, I, I, I was at baseball first. So when I got up there, between all that, now we've got four schools that I've been to at this point. And I don't know if you guys know this, but transferring through to those guys, nobody wants to take credits from anywhere. Right. Is so, that true? So you had yeah. to like start from scratch? Yeah, almost. So college a, was like nine years for you? I have a six six or seven year, four year degree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, not man. even intentional because I came back to finish the degree and I went to the U and they gave me two thirds credits basically for everything. So I basically had to redo the whole thing. What? Yeah, it was it was joke. And I even made a joke. They didn't think it was this funny. I'm like, I know this is just a cash grab. Just tell me what the bill is and let me pay it. Quit taking all my time. I've taken these classes. Yeah. You know, but no, they didn't they didn't really have that. But no, the the people up there, what I learned for the first time in my life, that was what true friendship was. Hmm. It did not matter. Ironically, my my best friend, Kevin, he was a uh the starting catcher the year before I got there. Okay. 
and I came in and took his job oh, for the next man. two years. Okay, and even his parents are like, when we first heard about you, we wanted to hate you and this, that, and the other. He is the nicest, most genuine person I have ever met, hmm. and we are best friends. And wow. it didn't matter what we what happened on the field; that was that was always true. Hmm. That's awesome. And having that's where I learned about brotherhood and what that actually means. Well, let's talk about that for a second. There's very few. Uh, I can't remember the name of the baseball movie it was, but he talks about the uh, the only the the connection is like like on a baseball team or maybe in battle. He likes talking about like there's two true brotherhoods and it's uh you're you're in the foxhole with somebody or you're on a baseball team and i thought that was an interesting perspective i'm trying to remember the movie anyway you um in your developing growing up a lot of team mentality was a part of of who you are how has that affected your life well even growing up i was i'm the oldest of four kids um and the family dynamic i was the leader literally since four years old every team that i was on uh i was a captain or a leader on um at this point i i actually don't really consciously think about it it's just kind of what it is yeah um and you you learn stuff you know if you're going to lead a team of college boys uh you better be outworking everybody you better lead by example and do front yeah you you have to and uphold the standard that that is set before you before anybody else does that's how you gain respect so in this um in this it's i'm gonna call it a dogma it's uh it's a religion i've seen um these team Mm -hmm. people i'm i'm one of them i'm a team team person um in this dogma in this system of belief um the biggest sin that can be committed is the sin of uh you don't got your brother's back yes um and did you ever in your um baseball career come across this this sin and is it something can, that can be forgiven because it seems to me like in baseball you're either you're either a brother or you're not that's how it feels to me it's like law enforcement or or when i was in the military either you are or you're not well i think it what what happens is is that you show your true colors and you only get one real chance to show your true colors now you can switch teams or whatever but you get a, a rep and and it's that goes counter to the culture mm. okay the culture is is we are a team we are going to wake up at 5 a.m. With, with each other, and we're going to go work out. We're going to do hard stuff, and we're going to get our ass kicked. The coaches are going to yell at us, blah, blah, blah. If you're but gonna, we're all going to do it together. We're going to do it together. Hmm. And if you're not about that, you're going to find yourself weeded out real fast. Yeah. You know, they, there's, I'm sure it's happened, and, and, you know, when you get into pro ball, you get into a different kind of problem where you get cocky and arrogant. Um, but at the college and high school level, that's really more of the team atmosphere. Hmm. And uh, no, it, it that's and even the coaches, that's not what that's not what they want. They want you guys to play as a team. Right. A it's unit. a team game. Yeah. Yeah. And so the whole focus and that's that's all of baseball, all the way through, even, you know, little league and whatnot, it was always about be a team player. Mm-hmm. Be it be a team be a leader was my calling. You know, I'm catching and whatnot. Be a leader. What does that mean? That means you have everybody's back. Yeah, and my job, and I and I wear things kind of personally. If you're going to attack one of my teammates, I'm the first one there. Right. Um. So this um this high level of ownership or extreme responsibility that I'm understanding you talk about has there been, um, um opportunities in your life that that has really benefited you or um helped carry you forward outside of baseball? I think that uh, the thing that I think is so cool about extreme ownership is it's a it's free, okay. 
taking extreme ownership means that you acknowledge that you had a role to play in it, which also means that you have a role to do something about it. So taking extreme ownership, it's kind of scary for a lot of people at first, okay? But it's really not. It's actually one of the most freeing things that you can do. It, it I have it. of the victim. Sure. Yeah. And it puts you in, a, in the driver's seat. And anytime you're in the, as a man, if you're in the driver's seat, you're going to be a lot happier than sitting in the back playing victim and letting somebody else drive. Hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Something interesting about the American masterminds um, that I find particularly interesting is that um, our group is uh, flush with leadership. There's, there's all of us, every single one of us has leadership, um, not only responsibility, but capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and we all lead in, in our own ways. And there's periods of time where it's your turn. It's my turn. It's Jared's turn to step up. Um, my question and where I'm going with this is how, as a strong leader, do you find your a way to manage um, working with other strong leaders? Because we have a really very powerful group, big energy in our group. There's not, there's no, you know, uh, what do they call that? Those, uh, like a, there's no, sh there's no one that's shy in our group. Everybody has an opinion and everybody's prepared to share it willingly. And so how do you manage that or navigate through being in a room full of leaders? You have the same thing. Question. You have the same thing because at every level in baseball, right? You go from high school to college. Well, all the leaders on their high school teams, that's now makes up the team for college. And the, few leaders at the college team, that's now what makes up the leaders on the pro teams. Mm, those so, are the ones that carry forward. Sure, absolutely. Okay. You, you know, usually because as men, when we're left to our own devices in a, uh, in a competitive setting like that, in a team environment like that, right, we are naturally predispositioned to putting together a hierarchy. Mm. We know who, the, like, whether right. everybody wants to admit it or not, we know damn well who the best player is on the team. Mm. And it's already been established. We didn't have a meeting about it. No. We didn't talk about it. But if you ask anybody on the team, we know who that is. Yeah. So there's a couple of different paths to leadership in a group. And I'm going to stay, I'll take it out of the masterminds and keep it on the, on the baseball side here, okay? okay? Um, number one, hardest worker gains brownie points. You can outwork your way to, to being the guy. If you are the best, okay, that's another way to get there, all right? But it has been my experience that the one who is willing to go the furthest, the one who is willing to be there, the one who says and does what they say they're going to do, that's what formulates it being a leader amongst leaders. Hmm. Right. That's a pretty powerful moral compass, those three principles. You, what I've learned is if you're going to sit at the top and you're going to call yourself a leader, number one, let's talk about leadership, okay? If you have some grand illusion, leadership is a burden. It is not sitting at, I'm a king. That has nothing to do with it, okay? If you're going to be a leader, here's what comes with that territory. You're going to outwork everybody. You're going to be up around the clock. Okay. If there's a problem going on with anybody around you, guess whose job it is to deal with it. It's yours because mm -hmm. if it goes to the coach, all right, we're all running, right? That's not acceptable. So it's up to you to fix <laughs> this. Handle this in house. Yeah. 100%. So it's that kind of stuff. It's, it's having the mindset. It's being, having not everybody's that, back but, stronger. But if, if something does go down and the coach does find out you're the one, I'm the one on the line. You're the one on the line. You're going to hear about it. Growing Everybody's up, though, looking up for, to you to, to manage that. Which was never a new thing for me. Growing up, if Lana and Lexi did something, yeah, I got in trouble for it. it. 100%. Hmm. Across the board. Which, which is funny. I that, wasn't even there. That's what how, are you talking about? That's how it goes down at my house, too. The oldest. You're the one in You're trouble. the example. And she doesn't like that. But. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. Being a leader is a burden. Right. It's not fun. Sitting at the top is lonely. But it is cool to see. It's cool to see her in that 
wear that hat, the sure. leader hat. And she'll like, and she'll get there. Yeah, she, I got well, She is a leader. I've some, seen her. Sometimes, I've seen her around other kids. She's, some, yeah, she's that person. I call her bossy a lot, but she's a leader. She's it, not, it doesn't matter who she's hanging out with either. Hmm. Doesn't matter what kids around. Yeah. So I'm hearing um, leadership um, is a burden, but I, um, in my experience with leadership, it's more of a, I, I like to lead through service. I'm, I'm, I am the first one in, the last one out. I'm the, I'm trying to make, I'm trying to make sure that everything is good for the other guys. I'm trying to do my best, and that's leadership in my opinion. It's service. Right? Yes. Um, ownership, of course, is a, a big part of it, but it's not a burden when you're doing. Um, and the teams that I've served. I genuinely love those guys. It's an easy, it's an easy thing for me to do to serve um, in leadership. Well, that's do, a. Do you know what I'm saying? hundred percent. What I mean by a burden, myself, and I know you're the same way. Okay, it comes naturally to me. This is the role that I was that I've been in. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that it's for everybody. Yeah. Not everybody is is made to be a leader, and that's perfectly okay. Good, perfect example. If we're going to keep it in the group, is Scott. Okay, Scott is a phenomenal number two he'll tell you this to your face like i don't i don't want to be the face he's right. not on the podcast and wants nothing to do with it part of recognizing your role is is also what makes a good team player hmm. and not everybody is a leader again if you approach the leaders that i've met that are very successful when i say burden it, it's the weight of what that means okay and they don't take it lightly and they understand that this comes with a set and a standard and you have to be the one Look at Tom Brady. But, it, but it's no question. It's not. No. It's I'm this guy. This is who I it, am. Mm. And have, I have can't you turn even, it off. Even if it is a, a slight burden, for lack of a better word, yeah. this is this is how it's going to be. Have you read the book Rocket Fuel? Have we yes. talked about that. So Scott, in this book Rocket Fuel, it talks about how um, these great um, Apple and Microsoft and Disney and all these different, um, Disney's a great one. Um, Walt was of course the, the leader. It was Walt Disney. It's the, it's the show, but, um, his brother was Scott mm -hmm. was the Scott of the group. And, um, he led his own way. He spoke to his own genius and that was finding the land and the organization and creating the, the tool for Walt, the big dreamer to, to deliver on all of these crazy ideas that no one, I want to create an amusement park that everyone in the world wants to come to. And, and everybody was like, it doesn't, doesn't just happen on its own. You're nuts, buddy. That's not a thing. Right. And so they made that. And so I think that um, leadership is kind of a, it's a slippery slope because leadership can happen in so many subtle ways. And I, back to Scott, I think Scott is a tremendous leader when he um, makes up his mind that this, he's going to own it. Mm -hmm. You step away, just step away. I'm going to do this. You know, I don't need your help. I got this until he needs your help. Right. So he's a, he's a powerful leader in his space and so i i agree with that but is that a leader or is that a person of caliber it's a leader he's a leader i think being a true leader is someone that can be like you know what Topher's more talented at this than i am i'm gonna surrender because i know he's more powerful because it will serve my team better that's leadership yes and um, that's the burden i don't have to stand at the front of the line all the time to make this great in fact a great leader is someone who can step back and realize okay jared Actually, he's a genius in this area. I'm, I'm good, but this guy's great. I'm going to step back, and that's leadership. Is like allowing others to be great. You're a great catcher. You're a great pitcher. I'm a great outfielder. Stay out of Let my way. Yeah. yeah, that is a huge lesson. It's a big, big lesson. Yeah, that I can't pitch. I have one pitch. It is straight. It actually kind of rises a little bit. Okay. You ask me to put anything different on it. I can't. I can't do it. It's a talent. It's a talent. Yeah. 
pitchers need the catcher. Yeah. Okay. I also can't do shortstop, right? Yeah. That guy is way more athletic than yeah. where on any of these teams. Yeah. He is way more athletic than I am. He's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. That's your number one athlete. Yeah. We need him over there. Got to be fast, man. You got to be fast. Yep. Amazing stuff. So now we've been at Platt. You've you've um, gone through college. You've built these relationships, and now we're looking at the big leagues. We're stepping out onto the field, the, the show, the show, because it's no longer um, about. Um, well, I would like to think that it's no longer about significance. It's about you're bringing your true value. If you don't bring a tremendous amount of value into this environment, you are you're not in it. Yeah. You are not a part of it. What did that sacrifice look like to you? Well, I'm going to have to finish the story here to oh, get there. All right, all right, all right. So my senior year of college, okay, I was getting draft letters uh, from Tigers and a couple of other uh, uh, teams, big league teams. Everything was going well. My parents came out to watch. We had, I think it was 10 games in a like 12-day stretch or something like that, and they came out for it. And uh, at the like seventh inning of the first game, um, and I still to this day I don't even know how this happened, okay? But I caught a 96-mile-an-hour fastball right here to the temple. Oh, my God. Okay? And it gave me – this is kind of funny. So I got hit, okay? I don't know what happened. I blacked out with the ball like 10, 15 feet away from me. I don't remember this happening. It hit me. I dropped like a sack of potatoes. And then somehow I managed to get myself up, and I got down to first base, and the trainer came out. <laughs> and I'll never forget. She was asking me. Uh, so, hey – uh, I'm like, and I'm yelling at her. I'm fine. I'm fine. Do not come over here. I don't need you. Get away from me. Okay. And I'm kind of irate and I don't really know. I'm, I'm a little confused. She goes, no, 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 I understand. I just have to ask you some quick questions. Okay. She goes, uh, what, what, uh, what was the count when you got hit? And I said, two and two. It was like one and oh, okay. <laughs> she goes, how many outs are there? I said, two. I don't think there were any outs. She goes, what inning is it? And now my coach is in the back. He's at first base. He's like, this. Just go like this. And I'm like, six. It's a sixth inning. It was a third. He was trying to show me three. Yeah. I'm like, put one hand up, dude. She goes, what, uh, what town are you in? And I said, we're in Wisconsin. She goes, I know, but what town are you in? I said, we're in Platteville. We were in La Crosse. She goes, you're going to have to come over here and sit down with me for a while. And I said, okay. And she takes me over to the dugout. I threw up all over everything. Concussion. I don't. It's super bad. And it, once I sat down, that's when it like actually took hmm. and I couldn't like, if you were saying a sentence to me, I could recognize words. I couldn't string them together. To, mm. It was like living in gibberishville for about a week and a half, two weeks. Oh man. So all of the draft stuff that was going on, all of it gone, done. Okay. I've basically been replaced at this point. They've, they've we've a month of a two month long season before I could actually come back. Okay. My parents came out, they missed didn't get to see me play any of those games thought I was done it was uh it was brutal it was absolutely brutal and so I got done thinking that this dream was completely over hmm. and carpet pulled out from underneath just you. done and uh Alex Neely gives me a call and he goes hey I've got a I got one more contact for you and it was a guy with uh independent baseball independent uh, uh professional baseball and so they go, well, no promises, but you've, you've been on the radar, so we know who you are. So come down here. They sent me to a winter league in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Or, uh, yes, Fort San Antonio, Texas. And uh, we, we played out there, and 
I had to literally climb my way back from nothing. Okay. And I played in independent ball. I played for 16 teams over three years. I bounced around all over the place, which is kind of par for the course. Um, this one time I was at, I was in Fort Worth, Texas. I got traded to Roswell, New Mexico, but there was an hour outside of Roswell driving there. They traded me to Tiffin, Ohio. So I turned around and drove to Tiffin, Ohio. I played two games. They traded me to Adrian, Michigan, went up there and played two more games. And they, they trade Adrian, Michigan traded me back down to Roswell. Like you guys couldn't have coordinated this at all. It's like in a week's time. In a week's time. And then I got transferred back. So I show up. This is basically two weeks of driving. Okay. Circle back, show up to Roswell at three o'clock. Batting practice is at 430. And now my career is on the line. Okay. So at 430, been driving for two weeks. You better go out there and perform. That's how that, that's how independent baseball works. How old are you now? You're like 22? I would have been 20, yeah, 23, something like that. Okay. And uh, so I go into that. Um, I did well enough to come back the next year. And independent baseball is it's it's a hit and miss, man. It's their leagues come up, they go down, they're not affiliated. It's it's hard, but this is the avenue to get there if you don't have anything else. And so um, I did well. I that winter league that was probably the best season that I ever had. I led the league in home runs. Wow. <laughs> so I'm I'm uh I'm five foot eight or six two depending on the program you're looking at, and uh, uh that that whole thing Jose Canseco was there. And he hated my guts. Jose can say Jose hated can guts? hates my guts. Huh. He would not talk to me, okay? <laughs> because he believes, which is really funny. So I didn't know. I don't know if you guys know this. Jose is a twin, okay? And I now, did not know that. Yeah, his brother. Now I can't think of his name. Jose B. Canseco. Jose B. Canseco. But <laughs> <laughs> boom, dad jokes for days. Um, God. both of his, both of those guys dad were there. Gas station. Jose Canseco is absolutely massive, okay? Really? Like, like gigantic. And How at tall 50, would you say? He's got to be 6'4", 6'5", <laughs> wow. 270 pounds, uh, pure steroids and cocaine, okay? Just, <laughs> I've never go. seen anybody, like, I don't know if, it, well, screw him. He's kind of a scumbag. He was doing lines. He, he got a couple of at-bats, like promo at-bats in these games, and he would do lines of, of coke in the clubhouse oh, and go man. out and take his at bat totally lit totally lit 100 percent. and i'm telling you even with that that human has more talent in his pinky than i've ever had in my entire life wow watching him swing a bat at 55 years old i'll never forget sitting he's got a 36 inch bat okay this thing is a log i would carry this with two hands okay <laughs> 36 <laughs> 36 inch bat. inch bat he's out there swinging it one-handed and putting balls out of the park and it's like with a, one arm with one arm. And I just remember watching him going, I better, I'm sorry, Jose, no if you heard my way. joke about your brother's name. I'm sorry, dude. He, He's well, he shot his other hand. Anyway, that's fine. Um, but his brother, he, Jose Canseco would not talk to me because I wasn't big enough to be a power hitter. And it annoyed him that I was leading the team, the league in home runs. So he calls together. This is like a week left of the, of the season. <laughs> And he calls me out there. He motherfucks me up one side and down the other. And I'm like, what in the – he wouldn't let me in the power hitter group. He wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't – nothing, okay? And he gets up there. You assholes are letting this little pissant squirt out hit you. Just blah, 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 going off. His brother – it was so bad. His brother comes up, puts his arm around me, and goes, hey, let's, let's go for a walk real quick. And he, this is where he explains, like, Jose's a little simple, okay? 
you're not tall enough and big enough to be a power hitter to him. So it's annoying to him. <laughs> he goes, I'm really sorry. You're doing great. Keep going. <laughs> but uh, that's nuts. It was that was kind of a wild one. But so anyway, we going through bouncing around. Uh, the second year, I ended up in uh, the first league that, that they traded me to was up in Washington. And uh, that league went under two weeks in. So you had this whole league of, call it 200 some odd players, now looking for a place to play. Man. Okay. A whole league? A whole We're league. Under? Two weeks into this, they Steven. ran out of money. And they couldn't float it anymore. And so there was another league, the Ozark League. Later, like five years later, I found out this was an entire big scam. Ooh. I don't, still don't know what his angle was, okay? But this is a very important part of the, of the story here, okay? So we go to the Ozarks down in uh, Springfield, Missouri. And uh, we're going along and everything. And um, they had us like set up. They put us in a hotel. They said, here's the field. We're going to run a couple weeks of practices. And then we'll get games going, okay? Great. Sounds good. Um, we're in this hotel, and uh, I was one of the few that had a truck. And this one day, I, I don't remember why I was, I was a little late leaving the hotel, okay? And this big, huge guy, his name was Daryl, don't, don't remember what his last name is, he's just standing on the corner, like he had just showed up. He had his bags, like, over his shoulder, he had his bat, and he's just standing on the corner. And I pulled up, and I went, well, what are you what are you doing and he goes well i think i'm here to play baseball and i said well where he goes i don't know isn't there a there's got to be a bus or something <laughs> i'm looking around going no there's not how are you gonna get to the field he goes huh god will figure it out huh. and i said get in i can't prove this and there is nobody Outside of me that's going to know this, I am 1,000% convinced that Daryl was an angel. Okay? I, like, I firmly believe that. Okay? The two months that I was in the Ozarks, we never played a game. Okay? We were at this hotel. They ended up kicking us out of this hotel. Now, they were stringing us along going, guys, we just can't afford the hotel, but the, there's a the field. Games are coming. There was nowhere else for us to go. Okay, and uh, so we're out there, but I, I met Daryl, and it ended up being a two-month spiritual journey with this guy. We talked about everything, okay? He's the one that really, God is simple. Simple is, in the, is divine, okay? When people complicate things, they're muddying the waters. That's ego getting involved. Hmm. Him and I traveled around. They dropped us out of the hotel. Now, I had money. Daryl and this other gentleman that was with us didn't, okay? Daryl, I don't think, had a dime to his name. Um, how, what are we going to do? We can't go get a hotel to wait this out. What are we going to do? Daryl would do stuff where he would be sitting there, and he goes, I think we need to take a nap. And then when we're going to take a nap, then we're going we're gonna to get up, and I think we're going to go walk over there. Daryl, we're not gonna we're not gonna make it anywhere, man. We gotta figure that like we don't have a place to stay tonight. What are we gonna do? Here in an hour, you're gonna walk into that building over there and you're gonna start talking and we'll see what happens. 
I walk into that building. It was a basketball gym. Okay, and I walk in and go, listen, I now I had inklings at this point. Like, there's something special with, with him. And I walk in and he goes, the, this guy, I don't remember his name. He comes up and he, he goes, can I help you guys? And I said, yeah, my name's Topher. And I know that this is really, really weird. We're tr in this professional baseball league over here and we're kind of stuck. Um, I know this isn't even your sport, but I, we need a place to stay. And I was just wondering, you've got a big, beautiful gym here. Would you let us crash on the floor? He goes, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, I know it's weird, but Daryl over here, who's off in the, he's gone now. Like I, he's nowhere to be found for this, yeah, for this conversation. Cause also we're in a basketball gym. Daryl is a six foot six black dude jacked. It would have been nice to have some street cred on this. Yeah. Whatever. We go in there and uh, he goes, I feel really compelled. Let me, I'll be right back. I don't know who he called or what he did. He called somebody. Here comes this pastor. Okay. He goes, why don't you guys meet us for dinner tonight? We'll feed you. Maybe we'll figure out something that, that's going on. These guys take us to the best steak I've had. Mind you, we are living on peanut butter and jellies at yes. this point, right? He takes us to a steakhouse, everything, all of it, the full nine, all, everything we want, right? Put it in there. And Daryl leans over and goes, I told you. <laughs> Just wait. Open yourself up and let God work. Okay. He makes a phone call. We introduce each other. He makes a phone call to this guy. That same night, we are staying in a mansion with our own rooms, okay? Everything taken care of. The guy lined us up with a job in the mornings with a, with a guy down here. We were going to go and we'd do some landscaping for him in the morning. We'll do some coaching for his kids in the afternoon, and we'll go play our games and do our pro stuff at night. Within a couple of hours. Man. In the middle of nowhere. I don't know anybody. This wasn't phoned in. And Daryl would go, that's how we do it. Hmm. You have to sit back. You have to trust. The final words that I heard from him is, because we were talking about, like, well, what do you do next? That we're, we're past the trade deadline. There, there isn't any options. And he would pray on it and meditate on it. And then he came to me and he said, Topher, time is done. It's time for you to go. You're going to go. You have a, your dad has a contact, and you need to go find him and call him. Okay. Call dad. Dad, do you have a baseball contact that I don't know about? Turns out my dad grew up with Mike Devereaux, okay? Born in the same hospital room as him. Hmm. And he is the hitting coach for the Asheville Tourists. Okay. Daryl goes, it's time for you to drive to Asheville. All right. At this point, with all the teachings, all the spirituality, all this, we, I've watched this. We needed something, and he would say, pray about it. Be patient. Sit here. It will come. Hmm. It, was, it was absolutely, again, I, I'm 100% convinced that he was an angel. Were you raised in a spiritual household? Like, was this like we a went to church? No. No, it no. wasn't language you used it growing up. No. Nothing that you were used to at all. We went to church, like, you know. Not the same. Not the same. Yeah. No. So this guy's walking the walk. 1,000%. Yeah, yeah. And I will never for the rest of my life, because it, it was heartbreaking, right? We're, 
your time is done. It's time for you to go. What the hell does that mean? Daryl. Daryl. Hmm. So, okay. So now we go to uh, Asheville. Asheville. And we're going to go find Mike Devereaux, who's never seen me, heard from me, anything. Okay, they're in the middle of a season. Dad somehow finds his number, okay? And he's starting to call him. But he can't get hold of him. So I sleep out in my truck for three days, petitioning when those guys showed up to the ballpark, which is usually about 1 o'clock, petitioning outside. Mr. Devereaux, Mr. Devereaux, hey, listen, my name's Tover Sheeler. You know my dad. Will you give me five minutes of your time? Please, give me five minutes of your time. The first three days, the first two days, he's like, get the hell out of here. Like, who, are, who are you? Yeah. Right? Showed up again, sitting out there, one o'clock, nobody else is there. Hey, just five minutes, please. Please, five minutes. I, I drove across the country. Give me, give me five minutes. Okay? Finally, he comes out, and my dad must have gotten, I, I've never asked him, and my dad must have gotten a hold of him. Because he came up and he goes, all right, one for the neighborhood. Okay, let's go. Grab my shit, go down in the tunnels. I start hitting with him. And 15 swings into this, he stops and goes, what the hell? Where have you been? Where, why aren't you playing somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> I said, I have no idea. You tell me. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, well, as it happens, today's Wednesday. It's catcher's defensive day. Go get strapped up. We'll put you out there and see what's 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 what. Okay, so he he does that. I go up, guys. If there was ever a day of my life to have this day, I had that day. Really, at that moment, everything like, lined up completely out of my body. Everything I had one error. Okay, so they the first they sent me down to the bullpen, and I had to catch. They had one pitcher. He threw like ninety three miles an hour from over here. He Side had arm. not a clue where this ball was going, and it moved, dunked, dived all over the place. None of their catchers could catch him. He was a problem. Okay, <laughs> what's that movie with that guy that's like he's got a like a, a crazy fastball, but just no control? What's that movie? Bull Durham. Bull Durham. <laughs> and it's the it's the catcher. Yeah, that makes this happen. I love the story. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's such a great great movie. So no, it's my favorite baseball movie. Um, but no, he, he I get up there and I'm talking every single one of them. <laughs> didn't miss one okay that this guy was dropping that this guy was dropping then we uh then they go huh and the, the, the pitcher comes up and goes holy shit great job back there what's your name are you are you you coming on I, i'm pitching tonight you want to yeah <laughs> you want to stop the ball for me <laughs> i'd love to they uh coach comes up and goes all right let's see if you can throw it take me down we we'll do some drills this was my one air the very first ball i threw I threw to center field fence, like <laughs> drilled it. <laughs> not even in the vicinity. Yeah, okay. Fuck. I went, oh no, here we go again. The next, I threw uh, 10 total, so nine more. And then I threw 10 to third base. If I had, I could hit this button, is where every single one of them hit. Yeah. And they were all at least one tenth, if not two tenths, faster than their guys. Hmm. At this point, I now have the entire coaching staff out on this field watching. Watching. Okay. All right, let's go see what you got. Let's take you out and hitting. Same thing. The one day to have your day, this was this day. Couldn't miss. Couldn't miss. Everything, everything hit. Okay? And I'm, Daryl told me to be here. Yeah. This is it. Okay? I've, now, at this point, I get done hitting. I look in the dugout. I've got, they've got, I know who the scouts are, right? I've got all the coaches and Mike's down there. Every single one of them is on the phone. So, hey. Okay, hey, so we, we, 
we might have found something here. They're calling the, the big office in Colorado. The, the Asheville tourists are the single A team for the Colorado Rockies. Mm. The problem was I was a college guy. I was too old. There's different business models for the different teams. Okay. So the Rockies business model in part, the Rockies aren't perennial winners for a reason. They have a hell of a farm system, arguably one of the best. Their business is flipping players. So they'll bring them up through their farm system. Their draft is real good. They'll bring them up and then they'll sell them, them out. Yeah. Right. So they want high school kids. So it wasn't a referendum on me. It was a referendum. Their, their model didn't fit didn't this. Fit, yeah. Okay. So, uh, Mike comes out and he goes, I don't know. I, you know, but I've got a contact with the Orioles. Let me call them. Okay. Two more days go by. Now I'm, I'm getting low on funds at this point. Okay. I'm, I'm sleeping in the car for a reason. This has been a very long summer. So he goes out and he, into his credit at this point, he gave me tickets to the game. I hung out with his wife and his kids. Like it was, it was a, it was a good time. But after the, the third game of watching him and he comes up and goes, Hey, I, I haven't, I haven't heard anything back from him. Also the, the trade deadline for the MLB was, we were like in the two week period of all this stuff going on. So Open the G- enrollment. Right. So the GMs and scouts and everybody were very, uh, you know, busy. Right. And so he gets done with that third game and it's like, you know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You're just going to have to be patient and let this happen. Well, I can't wait any longer. This, this time is running out. You're broke. I'm broke. This is it. And I now have a season outside of pro ball. My prospects are not, not coming back around. Right. Okay. So I get done with that game. I'm sitting out in the truck and I watch all the players leave. And, uh, I said, this gets super strong gut. Like I could hear Daryl again going, go, go. So I drove to Baltimore and I, the guy, he, Mike had told me the name who is another Mike, by the way, uh, the guy he was trying to call in the front office at, in Baltimore. So I drove there, showed up early, got there at about 9.30, 10 o'clock, uh, drove through the night, showed up at the Baltimore thing, and I had to talk my way through all the various gatekeepers. He was up on the fifth floor. So I had to talk my way through all the gatekeepers, got up there, found his office, found him, knocked on the door and said, hey, Mike <laughs> Devro's trying to call you. Will you please pick up the phone? By the time he kicked me out, okay, <laughs> who the hell are you? Get the hell out of here. I'm going to call security. By the time I got down the stairs, I got a call from Mike Devro. What the What fuck? in the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And I said, Mike, I'm on a time crunch. I can't do this. I have to make something happen. And he goes, how far are you willing to go? I said, as far, obviously, as far as I can possibly go. Yeah. I've got a contact with the Washington Nationals. I'm on my way. So I drove to Washington. Same thing. You want to talk about sales game? There really isn't anything harder than trying to sell yourself to, the, to these people that have all this data, all this magic of stuff and people and everything, right? And they have no idea They have who no idea who the hell I am. And I would show up. I went there. I went to Cincinnati. I went to Philadelphia. I went to... Uh, no way. I, I hit all of them. And Mike was behind me calling to anybody that he could ironically i never actually met anybody that he was trying to call other than the first guy Hmm. so i was showing up to these places literally talking my way in and trying to get to the gm okay i got a couple of like "Eh, we'll call you later we'll 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 see what happens blah 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 
I ended up in Boston. Those guys were awesome. Okay. They went to Boston, the owner. So I'm in there trying to get through. I'm talking to the GM and the owner happens to walk by. Okay. And he heard my story and what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to beg you to give me a job here. The owner comes in and goes, what's your, what's your deal? And I told him, I said, I'm a baseball player. I got kicked out of this league or this league went belly up. I'm looking for a, somebody to give me a shot here. They were really cool. I always say I was a Red, a Red Sox for 36 hours, right? He goes, well, how about this? Well, let me see what I can do. It was the owner, which was really cool. Let me see what I can do. And, and how about this? You go to the game tonight. He gives me this gold card. I said, what's this? And he goes, well, that's kind of your ticket. Whatever food, whatever seat you want to sit in, whatever anything you want. That's the card. That's, you just show them this card and, and you've got it taken care of. Wow. Best baseball game I've ever been to. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a blast. So it went there, got to touch the green monster and all that stuff. Like I was a little kid just walking <laughs> around. I felt like a Red Sox for a day. And I thought, oh, you know. This, this is great. But uh, through all this, all this stuff with Daryl and whatnot, I kept having these dreams that I was in pinstripes. Okay. Well, if you know anything about baseball, when you think pinstripes, that's the Yankees. Okay. So I had this like thought of like, I really believe that it's, it's going to be the Yankees that does this. So when the Red Sox came back the next morning, he called me and said, hey, there's just really nothing we can do at this point in time. I said, great, okay. So now I'm a little bit excited, but I am, I've been on the road all summer. I've been sleeping in my truck. I am, I am done, okay? And I said, okay, it's Yankee time. I think the White House probably doesn't have as good a security as Yankee Stadium. For I talked my way into everybody else and got where I needed to go. I couldn't make it through the front door at Yankee Stadium. No kidding. Okay, so I've had all these dreams of pinstripes thinking that that was like, maybe this is just all the journey. I just have to get to the Bronx. That's going to be the one that gets me there. Man. And I couldn't get into the flipping front door. Wow. I'm talking like firstborn and blood and semen level of security. Okay, it's unbelievable. So I'm done at this point. I'm dejected. I don't think this is going to work. Ideas, I'm out, out of, of money, ideas. Out of gas. I, I really thought I was holding on through all of those, those no's and everything. I was holding on to because I thought the Yankees, it was the pinstripe dream. It's, it's going to hit. I just have to get to the Yankees. And I couldn't get in the front door. And I called my mom, and I'm, I'm almost in tears. Like I, Dejected. I, I just yeah. I can't do this. And she goes, just, just go one more. You're already in New York. Go one more. Okay. I said, all right, all right, I'll go to the Mets. So I go to the Mets. And if I could give you my, when I say tired, I mean emotionally drained. I'm talking like just done, just done, ready to quit. I've made my peace. The Yankees, I thought was that was the dream. It didn't work. It didn't work. And I'm kind of mad at Daryl. You know, what, what the <laughs> hell's going on? So I go to New York and I'm walking in and I go, hey, I need to talk to the GM. What? Yeah, I need to talk to the GM. And like, I don't even know how I got it because I, my, my energy was just not, I, I couldn't even fake it, right? Somehow, somehow, the actual GM answered the call, came down the elevator and met me out in the lobby. What? Okay, no bullshit. I also found out a month later, this very day, I know this won't mean anything to you, that day that I was there, the hour I was there, they had just made this big trade for uh, Yadonis Cespedes, okay, which was the blockbuster trade of that summer. 
Okay, so he had just gotten this done, and he decided he was going to come back and, and see who the hell this guy is asking for him in the, in the lobby. Okay? He comes down. I see him get off the, the elevator. I have never in my life had a flip or I had a switch flipped inside of me quite like this. Boom. I went from completely dejected to up full energy, and by the time I am in the GM's face, I've got a finger going, I'm going to make somebody look like a flipping genius. I need somebody to give me a flipping, <laughs> a, a, just a chance. Just send me down to Springs. I'll show you everything. I will show you everything. Give me a chance. The guy goes, I have no idea who the hell you are. I have no idea if you can play. I have no idea. But you've got balls of freaking steel. Done. Done. We'll, we'll invite you to spring training. I go, thank you. Here's my number. We'll be in touch. And off I went. I walk outside. I collapsed on the ground. Like the euphoric feeling of yeah. what just happened. What, what just happened? Wow. That's how I got my chance with the New York Mets. This is like a movie. It's like a movie. <laughs> this is like a movie. I'm digging this story. This is crazy cool. So you didn't quit. You kept going. You kept going. Even the one more chance. There's so many There's so many lessons here. There's so many morals, life lessons. Like it's always well, that one last try, that one last phone call, the one last effort. The, no quit. No just quitting. don't stop. Just don't stop until just keep going. Just but keep look going. Look at all the no's. Along the way. Along the way. If I listened to any of those, I'd have quit in elementary school. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is it's not like a no over the phone. It's like, I just drove to Cincinnati, and you're going to tell me no, and I'm going to drive all the way to Washington, you're going to tell me no. It's a significant no. It's not right. just a, well, it, 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 you're out of money, you're in your truck. Sleeping like a hobo on the street eating hot dogs. It, this was also my identity. Yeah. So not only was it, was it hard to go and do that, Okay, the sales techniques and that that you got to get out of the car. Mm -hmm. You're looking like it's one thing to go to an office building. There's the door. You can see it. Yeah. These are the cathedrals that I grew up idolizing. Yeah. I have pictures of this building in my room. Also, for whatever it's worth, the New York Mets wear pinstripes. Huh. Very cool. <laughs> so you show up for spring training. Things go great. Uh things I had I had three weeks at spring training with the Mets. I got to hang around and be around all these guys. And then the draft came, and they drafted four high school catchers. Son of a And biscuit. they came to me, and what you kind of figure out in pro ball, unfortunately, politics and everything plays a, a hand in everything. Mm -hmm. And they had no money in me. I was dispensable. Yeah. That was it. But I was there, and I accomplished what I set out to do. I've got to play an MLB-sanctioned game. That was the goal because nobody could take that away from me. Which, hindsight, make sure you set your goals correctly because that's exactly what I got, yeah. and that's what I said. If I could just get one game, I'm a professional baseball player, and the goal for me has always been to go into coaching. And if I was a professional, nobody could take that away from me. I will forever be, even if it's one game, I will forever be a professional baseball player. Wow. I got my one game with the Mets. That was it. Man. Be interesting. Um, what a what a experience to step out on that field and that's to a, have a arrived. You know, have arrived after this long journey of no and rejection and practice and uh, injury and all of these things. And now here we are on the field for our first game and the lights and the smells and the sounds and all the things. Like it must have been, must have been wonderful. It must have been a wonderful night, a wonderful experience to have that. You know, in your 
in your to mind. Finally, have made it. Yeah. And I got my one hit. That 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 feeling that you're that you're describing. It was a double to right center gap. Okay. I I struck out two other times, but I got I got one. And that one, and I was standing on second base, and I, it was, that was the because before you're I'm so like this is it, this is the shot, yeah, right. And you're kind of panic where you're not even really seeing the crowd or anything else. I'm hyper focused. You're in the zone. But when I got to second base and I looked up and I've got this, I got the crowd. I'm I'm there. Yeah, I'm center there. stage, I'm, baby. I I did it. Yeah. And the crowd's cheering and everything, and it's like that was that was it. That one moment, twenty years went into getting that one moment. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So now take us from there um, to the next, because I know that there's a next, there's always a next. And um, it's interesting. I, I've known you for a minute and I didn't know anything about this. That's an amazing right. story. Like that's, that's uh, worthy of a movie. Uh, you should start picking out your soundtrack, bro. <laughs> um, that would be cool. Um, what was the next after, you know, now we, the Mets aren't going to pick me up and what did you do then? Well, like, here's the here's the hard part, okay? So I get done with the Mets, and it, it was like I died, okay? My entire identity, my entire purpose, my entire being was wrapped up into doing that. Mm. It was everything I did. Nothing that I did in the course of the, from the way I ate, my sleeping patterns, what I did for fun, everything was tied to baseball. You know, I, I still to this day have never stepped foot on a skateboard. Because you might get hurt for break, baseball, break your wrist, or right? Something. Yeah, you know it. So it was, it was literally like a death. I died, hmm. and then you find yourself, you know, in a weird conundrum where. How old my, are you now? 24, I've been 24, 25? No, I was twenty six. Twenty six. I was twenty six because uh, um, when they told me I was too old, I was actually twenty five, and I was turning twenty six in the next month. Hmm. Man, so which is kind of funny. You're you're too old at twenty five. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it, so the, the back half now has really been about the grieving process took a lot longer than I was willing to give it credit for. Hmm. And I'm, I don't, I'm not proud of that because everything else that I've done, look at all the no's and the rejection and everything that I did yeah. overcome. Why would, why, would, why would I fail at this? Right. But I had to go and finish school, and, and, and now it's more, I'm in the reflective <coughs> I'm in the reflective. Who I learned I? so much from doing all of that, and it does directly apply to life and what, what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Right? So this new wave, in, so we got like the baseball period, then there was the really angry period, which was about, honestly, five years, six years. And, you, you know, you, there's emotions where you're suppressing it, you got to find your identity again. And, and, and so it was like a real mourning process. 100%. Denial, anger. Yeah. To the point where, like, going to the gym, it's not, and even to this day, you know, I, that's what it took. The gym, to me, is a completely different spot than it is to 99% of everybody else. That was pain. That was, that was it, pushing yourself to absolute limits. It's a failure. And I still haven't quite gotten that back. Hmm. Now, I'm doing stuff right now, I, you know, right before this podcast, I went and did some coaching. <sighs> My entire mindset like it shifts. That is the fuel to my soul. Mm. It really is. It's interesting that you say that. I uh, I called you and you were on your way over here. Like, hey, where are you at? And um, the Topher that answered the phone was the Topher that I love and and uh, and want to be around. He's the guy that's anything is possible. This is great. Where are we going? It's cool to see you coming into your genius. 
And that's what it is. It's uh, it's a cool thing to witness that. And, and then also to hear this, like, man, you're charged. It, your cup is full. You like, we're coming over here with this amazing attitude, which it's, it's been difficult in the last couple of weeks and months, you know, we're under a tremendous amount of stress to perform and do different things. And, um, and that's not the Topher that I've been around for the past month or two. And so it was interesting to hear this shift. And so I, I think, and I, I believe this about me too, when I'm doing something that I'm really, when I'm re- that I'm really in love with, like passionately, this is what God made me to do. You're turned on your your best self yes and so if if that's the truth then what does it look like what's Topher's future look like to become to be in this space as much as possible well this is the the realization and I, f- I feel like we're now we're finally turning the chapter from the from the angry period mm. um I don't know well part of it is this group part of it is doing like I, I see myself too like it, it just when I'm around those kids and we're where I'm coaching it's an entirely different person yeah and so what is happening on the wave right now is I gained so many lessons from, from doing this, and it has shaped my entire worldview. I think it's now time to start talking about this stuff where I haven't. It's been part of me being quiet about all of this stuff is that um, it was hurtful. It pained me to talk about this, to tell this story. I haven't, you've never heard this story. How long have you known me? Years and years. Yep. I don't talk about this. Yeah. So I'm in this I'm in this mode right now of that I have put blood, sweat, and tears into building this mental model because this wasn't the way that I was hardwired or started, but it is the way that got me through all of that stuff. Hmm. This is I've stress tested the stuff that I'm that I believe to be true, and what I, I am learning is that it it's really more about it's not what you're trying to learn. I think there's truth in many many different disciplines. One of the things that I don't think that anybody really talks about and what I had to teach myself to do was how to think, how to process information. What is information? What, what about this actually deserves my emotional ties? Because it can't be the outcome of, of the at-bat, right? That, that doesn't deserve my emotional ties. Right. The past doesn't deserve my emotional ties. And then we have, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I hear people talking about, you know, you know, this is a buzzword, inner child work, right? Well, everything that I, how I got through all of this and, and built this mental model and was able to overcome this stuff and keep coming back was not by spending time in the past. Hmm. You got to get over that. That's what made you to who you are right now, whatever it is. And you got to be grateful that this is where I'm at. This is the tool chest that I have here. And so these lessons, I, I, I find myself trying to be more vocal about this. I'm doing it with the, with the kids down here. Okay. Why do you breathe? When I, we were, before we came on here, I, I told you my theory on, on breath. That's because I've tried it because I couldn't have an at bat without my mind going 900,000 different directions yeah. and absolutely screwing me before I actually get there. Right. I had to come up with ways. So there's, that's how I, I know for a fact that there are only two ways. You can count or you can, you can breathe. If you count, somebody can mess that up. Something can happen and break that train of thought. That doesn't, that's not the preferred method. Under stress, the one that matters is breathing. Hmm. And to your point, subconscious. If we're going to talk about hitting, if I think about my foot or I think about my hand and I think about any part of the, I've done, that's it. I've lost the at-bat. 
your subconscious actually has a lot of power, okay? And it knows how to do stuff. Your subconscious remembers things. Right. I've hit this pitch umpteen thousand times. If I think about hitting that pitch, I'm, I'm going to mess it up. Oh, well, it's got a weird spin on it. It's got this. It's, it's this. No, my insight here is immensely powerful. Hmm. We're all divine, right? We're hmm. all a drop out of the bucket. So I have all of those abilities. Hmm. The problem is, is my Get number one way. brain gets in the way of what is actually inside here. Hmm. Got to step out of your own way. 100%. Hmm. 100%. And how do you get there? Breathe. Hmm. Breathe. That's why I believe the Wim Hof. I know there's truth in this. Look at it. Go from the Stoics to the hippies to anybody else. You're going to find carryover to all of this. Why do all of them talk about breathing? It's the key. It's, it's the, the key. key. It's the doorway to consciousness. It's, it's the way to get your own mind out of your way mm. to let the inner divine self out. Mm. Topher, amazing, amazing story. Um, some of the things I'm taking away from the story is, um, of course, um, your persistence, yes. um, resilience, uh, your, your ability to keep on keeping on. Um, your determination to um, achieve your dream. I like the message of uh, be careful what you dream about. Be careful what your goal is because you want to be, if you're setting it here, then that's, you know, you want to you want to be very clear about what you're trying to manifest or create because right. uh, we're all manifestors <clears throat> regardless we if we want to admit it or not. Yeah, you don't want to limit yourself. Right, right. And then um, the other thing that I'm taking away from this is your um, discipline, the discipline of the thousand at-bats, the, the, the learning, the breath, the art of the art. You know what I mean? The, mm -hmm. um, those are some amazing talents. And I've known you now for a couple years, and um, you are wired differently. And I, I can see now that how this was put together, how you've been put together over the years through the, the discipline and the, the journey in the way that you are and I, it's fascinating and thank also you for sharing just, it with us just breaking mm -hmm. down the mechanics of everything that's that's impressive i i've got i actually wrote them all down here okay and i i would like to talk about it to me that's how you find the truth right if i can't stress test this and i can't use it in the moment that i need to use it what good is it right if i don't know how this works what good is it and I think that's important, the ability to be able to, to acknowledge that and then break the steps down and know these are the things that are going to equal the success. Well, I, I just had a perfect example of this. Okay, so last Saturday, M had a scare. First time pregnancy, you know, she hadn't felt the baby move for eight hours, right? She is panicked. She's calling me. They're up in, with her family up in Ogden, okay? And she is full-fledged panic. I can hear this reaching fever pitch while I'm on the phone. Like, we are going there. We're going to have a breakdown if something doesn't stop. In that moment, I can't rationalize with her. We're not going to have a conversation about, hey, you need to calm down. Okay? Nothing, no. nothing helps a lady like those words. No. Yeah. It's not going to work. You need to calm down. You, you know what I did say to her? Reacting. We don't have the information. Now, what that means is something that we've been building for four or five years. What that means is you can't panic when we don't have the information. You got to get the information before we can, because this is how you think. Yeah. Okay. We got to, God put it in order for us. All right. Most people don't understand how to actually think, how to process information. We process information. He put it in order. 
you take inputs, that's your eyes, observe what is going on around you, okay? Then it goes to your mind. Think about what you want to do. The big secret to, to managing your emotions and everything that's going in here is your brain. Most people are out of alignment. They're out of order, okay? So it should go eyes to your brain. Think about it. Your brain tells you which emotions are actually necessary for this. I'm not saying suppress emotions. I'm saying emotions lie to you and pick the right one, okay? Which then your brain tells your heart which emotions and what you want to attach to this. And then from there, it moves to your hands in massive action, okay? It's in order. Most people, when they're out of alignment, when they're struggling with problems, it's because they're actually feeling it first, right. okay? Before they even see it, then maybe they'll see it, then three or four days goes by, then they might think about it, then three or four more days goes by, and then you're going to have action take place. That doesn't work. Your or, emotions or massive lie inaction. Right. Yeah. And that's a hard, that's a hard um, situation to not be emotional about. Exactly. It's a baby. Yeah. That's tough. But you know what that did? Those three words? Instant. Right. Calm down. Think we don't have it. the information. Okay. Okay. We got to go get the information first. This isn't the time to panic. And it shut it down that fast. That's what I'm talking about. In if you can't deploy these methods and the stuff that we're working on under stress in the moment, then what good is it? Hmm. And I do believe that, that God, he's, he's laid out several examples. Simplicity is the divine. God doesn't have this hard. It's not. Right. What's his name? I am. Okay? I am that I am. I am. He's in here. You taking the Lord's name in vain is not saying, God damn it. Okay? It's you saying, I am anything that is other than fantastic. That mm. is anything other than aligned with him. Mm. That's powerful. God is not, doesn't have love. He is love. That's the simplicity of it. Hmm. Okay? So if we take all this and we, we take those lessons, we say it's about whittling it down to simple. Another great example. God sent down 10 commandments. Okay? Pretty basic. Pretty basic. And then somewhere along the line, they went, whoa, 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 that's too many. They're not getting it. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Sends down Jesus. Jesus says one. Yep. There's one. Do unto others as you want done unto you. That covers everything. Throughout the Bible, that is Jesus' teachings. Make it simple. Complexities and making things, that's the ego. Right. Hmm. The ego puts these, these complexities on things. I believe that's, that's a mark of, of the other side, if you will. Hmm. Okay? When you try to make something complicated and, well, gray and this, God wants it to be simple for you. Right. This is how, it, make it simple. Hmm. Whatever you're doing find a way to make it the easiest route to remembering it. Powerful. Powerful stuff. Topher, I've never heard you talk this way with uh, about faith in God and Jesus and the Bible and quoting and unquoting the scriptures. And um, why isn't this something that's more common? Why don't we hear more about this like from you? I believe that right now I'm in my own version of a coming out process. I don't talk about this because I don't... Uh, I don't preach. Nobody asked me. Nobody asked me what my what my opinion is on something. Nobody asked me the thought process that I would deploy at this situation. And what I've found out is if somebody doesn't ask you, they don't actually want to hear it. Hmm. Pearls before the swine, baby. That's uh that's what you're doing. You're choosing your message. You're choosing who's gonna hear yeah. it. 
I'm, uh, that's a lot of wisdom in that. I feel as though, uh, you know, that whole arguing with uh, crazy people makes you a crazy person kind of a thing, you know, um, you, you, uh, you don't want to waste your words in that regard. I mean, I think there's a lot of energy that can be saved. I've, I've argued with a lot of crazy people, which makes me crazy. Too many to yeah. admit. Yeah. I'm, I'm top of the list of the nuts. And so, um, yeah, but here's the question though. And this is, this is, now we're just talking like spitball because this is the question I'm wrestling. I believe that these, this was, this was, I didn't just read a book yesterday and I'm trying to profess to you what that book says. Yeah. Okay. This is my life work has come into getting it to this point. And I hear people talking and whatnot, and we're living in, we're in an orange juice era right now. Okay. When you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange juice. Why? Because it's an orange. Because that's what's inside. Yeah. Right now, society and everything, we're in an orange juice era. We're finding out what, what people are made of. Mm. And so I've been toying with this because I, I hear stuff and I hear these stories and I hear people with struggling and, and whatnot. I know how to fix that. I know how to fix that because I was, I was there, right? And I've I can tell you that also the 40 different methods that I tried that didn't work right. to get to this one that's simple and easy to remember. Hmm. So what are you going to do with it? I think that there's a tremendous amount of, uh, or need, uh, let me go back it up. There's a tremendous amount of need for um, simple solutions in this, in this time. Um, we have a very complicated, uh, we're in a complicated world. Yeah, um, agreed. And it's becoming more complicated. It's, it's, there's no easy, clear path unless you're thinking about easy, clear paths. It's, that's needed, this type of thinking. And so my question is, is when are you running for office? When can, uh, when will I see your name on the ballot? Because this is the kind of uh, thinking that we need in leadership in our world right now. I, I agree. And it's weird. First step is we're going to build a mastermind school. And I am going to be one of the coaches in there. That's, that's going to be step number one. I do believe that you know, I, I, the hard part that I have is even talking about this. I feel like it's coming across cocky and, and pompous. And it's not. I actually genuinely feel like this of what I've built in the way that I think this isn't an accident and I want to actually share it with people because I genuinely believe that it will help you in all of your everyday life and it's not just one dogma it's not just one discipline or anything like that I don't want to if you believe not to be mean but there's stoicism there's there's hippies I look for carryover but I actually care about how are you processing the information Believe whatever you or want. Or applying it. Applying it yeah. is really what you're about. Or or in that too. Yeah. But how do you how do you read this? How do you digest this? How do you use it? Again, mm. if if it if if the inner hey, pick on inner child work, I'm sorry, everybody, that's just the one that comes to mind. If you pick on inner child work, right? And you come up with a stressful situation, are you gonna actually be able to circle all of that thought process and figure out your answer to your solution? Maybe. Maybe. Unlikely. Hmm. Certainly not in the moment. It's going to take you two weeks to digest yeah. it to reach the answer, right? It's kind of like this. What's the greatest life hack that you can, of all the disciplines, all the self-help books, everything that's out there, what is the final chapter in every single one of them? Um, taking action? It's a choice. Hmm. At the end of all of the self-help books, okay, it's, it comes down to a choice. That's it. 
You decide you're going to do something. You decide that you're going to be it and then do it. But if you recognize that it is the choice that you have, that's the life hack. We can take how many ever different ways to get there. We can talk about it till we're blue in the face. Mm. Right. Nothing will change until you make a choice. That's the answer. That's the secret. Go to the back chapter of every single self-help book. That's what's there. Got to make the choice. It ultimately comes down. So if you know that, deploy that. Start playing games with yourself. So when, when I go through and I, I'm taking information here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it to the game, the game that I play when I'm thinking about it is the game of or. Okay? No matter what is going on, situation X, okay? My, I just broke up with my girlfriend. I'm so mad. I'm, uh, this is the worst. Or... This is opening the door for a new opportunity that the, the love of my life is going to walk through. Yeah. Present yourself a choice and then make the decision. But by you presenting the choice to yourself, playing the game of or, okay, now you automatically open yourself up to different possibilities. Hmm. Now we have a choice to decide which one, because at the end of the day, it's your perception that matters. That's right. Which you, there's a lot of power in just being open, opening yourself to, to every situation. Yeah. Also, let me give it one more life hack since I have it here, or I did have it. Get yourself a coin. There's a lot of, I have my decision coin. It's a 1973 uh, 50 cent piece. I've carried it around since I was 18 years old. Okay. If you needed to make a decision about what shirt to wear, flip a coin. If you need to make a decision about where you're going to eat, flip a coin. Cut a lot of this bullshit out. Because at the end of the day, tomorrow, it won't matter what shirt you wore. Mm. It won't matter what, where you ate for dinner. Mm-hmm. Cut save, that out. Save a lot of arguments with your spouse as well. 100%. Mm. You pick one, I'll pick one, we flip for it, and we move on. Yeah. And it's done. It's about efficiency. Spend your time and your emotions where you need to spend them. Right. Those are the funnest motorcycle rides we've been on are the coin flip trips. Absolutely. Are we heading north or there's south? There's no bullshit. Yeah. And no, it's inarguable. Are we doing this or that? Boom. There's the answer. And there's... And we all have to agree upon. And what about when the we're not when we're not on a coin flip trip and we start arguing and then fuck it, get the coin, coin out. Yep, and it solves okay. the problem. problem I, we, we, we've solved. done that. We've done that before. Well, Topher, this has been amazing. I can see a part two and three happening in our podcast of getting to know Topher better. Um, <clears throat> the last question that I want to ask you, and we've asked a lot of guests this before, but now here you sit. Um, you know, you're you're on the doorstep of fatherhood. You've got business um, skills and management coaching that you're looking at, um, building all these opportunities for the for the American masterminds and for yourself and your family. Your all these things are happening. Your plate is clear full. Um, now you're looking backwards, and you've gone through this mourning period. You've gone through all of this rejection and all of these things. There sits that twelve year old boy that um just got he's just finished catching for the uh the rockies pitchers what advice would you tell him what would you tell that kid <laughs> my baseball advice hands first if i had found that out then my god we would have been in a whole different situation <laughs> <laughs> thought hands about first. that hands first but um no one of the things that i'm i'm quite proud of is and this is what matters the most no matter what is going on I have my entire life given 110%. I don't have any regrets, you know, outside of like, but how do you, how do you know that? There is stuff that I learned in pro ball that if I knew it in high school, my entire thing would have been different, Mm. but I also wouldn't be who I am today. Right. So what advice, it really is more keep trying, 
do your best no matter what. It's what I ultimately, where I've arrived to today. I think if I could put my arm around that kid's shoulders, the advice that I would give him is you're more than baseball. That would be a good one. You're more than baseball. You're more than what you can do. You're you're bringing way more value into the world than how fast you can throw or catch or hit the ball because those things are all amazing, and to have a talent in that is truly special. But I, I know this Topher. I know this Topher that's been refined over all this period, went through the five years of hell and all of these redefining things. And, dude... I love you. That's yeah. the least part of you is this baseball part. And I, I didn't know that, Topher. That's a different right. different guy. And But I would have to say that that's the least part of your power is that. You are way more than a ball and a mitt. And I just want you to know that. I think that's the advice I'd give that kid. I agree with that 100%. Well, I really appreciate that. Yeah. I do. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the American Mastermind Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like it, share it, subscribe, get out, get it out there. Um, send us a comment. We're going to start reading these comments and um, and the feedback that we get from you because we would like to build the best podcast in the history of the world, and uh, you get Amen. to be a part of that. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And if uh, you have any more questions for us or for Topher, please let us know in the comments. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks, Topher. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks I for sharing it, that, Topher. That was good. Thank you.